0: Welcome to The Bit, a podcast from Upstream Newspaper. I am Houston Bureau Chief Noah Brenner. We are wrapping up here on a beautiful Saturday afternoon at Upstream's offices in 5151 San Felipe and uh, taping a, uh, an episode of The Bit.
1: And not just any episode. Uh, this is, We are wrapping up in more ways than one because this is Noah's last podcast with Upstream Newspaper. In fact, it's his last few hours with Upstream. He is moving on to greener pastures. My name is Luke Johnson, by the way. You may remember me as the regular host of this program, but I thought I'd give Noah a chance to to give the shout out now that he is leaving us. Why don't you tell the good listeners what's up next for you,
0: Noah? Well, actually, I'll be heading to uh, Energy Intelligence, where I'll be a senior corporate reporter and assistant bureau chief there, uh, covering a lot of the same stuff uh, that I do here including the U.S. supermajors and uh, the large U.S. independents, primarily in the U.S. onshore sector.
1: But you should definitely still read Upstream. Yeah, if you want. (laughs) Well, uh, Noah is nice enough to give us a little bit more of his time as he is uh, cleaning up his, or cleaning out this nice office where we record the podcast. Um, uh, You may have noticed that the podcast has been a little less frequent uh, in the last few months, We're still trying to figure things out. Um, Obviously, there's some changes going on at Upstream, and we are uh, just trying to find the way forward after Noah leaves us after, uh, what's it been, eight years?
0: Seven and a half years, I think. I started January 15th, 2009, I believe.
1: All right, well... Uh, yeah, definitely sad to see you go, but we thought we would uh, spend one more episode here just uh, squeezing you dry, mining your mining your uh, vast knowledge of the. US onshore space. I would expect
0: nothing less.
1: <laughs> You've been sucked dry for years now. <laughs> um, so you like I said, you are nice enough to be leaving us with uh, some uh, one final uh, shale spread in the newspaper. Uh, I guess it'll be next week, but we're gonna give a little sneak peek here. Um, and I'm not really very familiar with your, what you're writing about. Something about Occidental in the Permian drilling multilaterals. Why don't you just, yeah, it's what's this, it about?
0: Yeah, it's an interesting concept that they actually debuted during an analyst day here a few months back, but then they've spoken a little bit more of it on their last conference call. Um, they actually have uh, a test well, uh, a, a single vertical wellbore with, with two laterals coming off it, uh, somewhere on their position in the Permian Basin that uh that's going ahead and, and and from what they say is going very very well so it's a concept they call sl2 um which is you know uh, it's basically a multilateral but they're looking at some different things and doing some things in some different ways that they make it interesting
1: Okay, so we have talked about multilaterals here on the podcast. Uh, It's been quite some time. Um, You can dig through the archives and find um, there is an episode called Multilateral. Um, And that was about uh, BP's lower 48 unit um, starting to think about this kind of uh, drilling strategy. So uh, I guess first, just just remind us what exactly multilaterals are and what the idea is. Yeah,
0: so multilateral, I mean, it's it's a a simple idea that can be really difficult to execute. And that's simply that you drill a single vertical wellbore and you have more than one lateral uh, or horizontal wellbore that comes off of that. And it's something that's been done in conventional reservoirs. People look at places like the uh, UK North Sea where they use it to tap some chalk reservoirs. It's been used in, in a variety of other places where, um, you know, maybe you have lower flow rates. It's in some heavy oil developments, is my understanding. Um, but in a lot of ways, it's kind of been seen as, as you know, I'll say, a, a holy grail maybe for, certain, for some shale producers. Once they kind of realized or were able to sort of wrap their mind around the potential of stacked pay, and so in places like the Permian, uh, in places like the Anadarko Basin, where you do have a series of stacked targets uh, that all are, are potentially economic, um, you know, being able to save money by drilling that single lateral uh, and then produce multiple formations off it um, is really seen as potentially the next major breakthrough in the U.S. onshore space
1: and so what is special about what Occidental is doing I, I, they're calling it um proprietary and kind of their own thing so what what makes it yeah, special yeah
0: yeah so they uh were working with a service provider to to develop this this sl2 concept which i guess w- what was interesting to me or what i saw is potentially different in, in, in a way that that might allow this to to kind of move forward more quickly is um, they're looking at sequencing these laterals. So, you know, you would go down, drill an initial lateral, uh, say, uh, let's take in the Permian Basin, say you wanted to, to stick it in the Wolf Camp B. Um, so you drill your initial lateral in the Wolf Camp B, you could produce that. Um, and as soon as that starts to decline, you know, these, these tight oil plays do have significant initial declines. So let's say a, a year later, maybe, um, they've developed, a, it's a technique and a set of, of tools and, and sort of downhole kit that uh, allows them to drill out, essentially, uh, and, and then drill the next lateral. And so rather than coming back and putting in another vertical wellbore and just drilling another lateral in, say, the Wolf Camp A, or maybe Second Bone Spring um, on the Delaware Basin side, it allows them to more or less go down through their existing vertical well bore uh, and drill off this lateral into into a secondary target and then bring that well on at at peak production and sort of backfill um, you know what would have been peak production from from the initial reservoir. And they say they can do this over over a, a series of laterals, um, and so it's it's interesting from the sequencing standpoint. It also, as they point out, um, it lowers risk. Uh, one of the big reasons that multilaterals have not taken off is that it's it's hard to isolate the the various wellbores, the various horizontal wellbores, um, and fracture those. And you know uh, when you're dealing with these immense pressures and, and just you know, really tough downhole conditions when you're pumping tons, literally tons and tons and tons of sand, um, you know, through these through these boards to fracture them. And so one of the worries was always been, has always been that if you lose one lateral of, say, three laterals, that you, you essentially use lose your entire multilateral unit. Um, and, you know, looking at, uh, at the information Occidental's provided, it's you know the way that they're looking at it lowers the risk of that happening and and so that's that's going to allow multilaterals to move forward more quickly and so they talked about this on their conference call right uh yes they did and then i had followed up with them with some additional questions just because it was a fascinating topic.
1: And so how long have they been doing it and I mean what kind of success have they seen?
0: Well it's you know Oxy being a you know is is an international company um, and they have experience with laterals in the middle uh, I'm sorry with multilaterals in the Middle East and so they are using some of the techniques that they've uh, sort of established over there and now applying them to uh, primarily their Permian Basin position, and so they just have you know, uh, publicly at least they just have one um, one Permian Basin test lateral, test multilateral um, on stream right now. Um, so it's it's very new, and um, and is something that that's really kind of just being commercialized here in the U.S.
1: And so. Um we we mentioned earlier that uh, BP had talked about this. I can't even remember how long ago that was—a year and a half ago or two yeah, years ago. Yeah, maybe more. Mm-hmm. And. Aside from that, I mean, uh, aside from BP, uh, have we seen this kind of uh, strategy in in these stack shale plays?
0: Well, you know, it's been interesting. We've seen this strategy in the past. Um, If you go back, uh, Hess looked at this Um, back uh, quite some time ago. They wanted to produce Bakken and three forks benches uh, from a single uh, vertical wellbore, and it was something they had looked at and then kind of backed off on, Um, and... So that was kind of an early concept. You know, some of the first successful multilateral development that we've seen U.S. onshore has been in the Mississippian Lime play. Uh, BP did some work kind of around there. but It was primarily Sandridge Energy, which, um, you know, BP Lower 48 CEO Dave Lawler came over from Sandridge. But Sandridge had done a lot with multilaterals in the Mississippian Lime. Now, those wells take, generally, are going to take a smaller frack. They come on at lower pressures. So some of the challenges that people have had with, uh, with doing multilaterals were mitigated a bit by the reservoir properties and the formation itself. Um, now, uh, ConocoPhillips has, been has, has a test well going in this year. We had talked about that uh, around Sarah Week time. And so I think it's, and, and BP does still still use multilateral development uh, in certain places. I believe they're doing them in East Texas, and I want to say San Juan Basin, um, potentially Oklahoma, and potentially up in uh, Wyoming around their Wom Sutter uh, were some of the areas that I know they had looked at it as, as potentially being, um, you know, being applicable up there. And and um, so, yeah, I think it's it's... I don't think this is something we're going to be talking about in the next six months, having a material impact on U.S. breakevens, but I would be surprised if three years from now we are not talking about this having some impact or some influence, whether it's in certain plays or with certain companies um, lowering significantly lowering breakeven prices.
1: And this would be, then, the first application of this in the mightiest of all stacked plays in the Permian.
0: You know, to my knowledge, yes. Um, That doesn't mean that some companies maybe hadn't played around with it. I mean, even really early on when they just started kind of going horizontal. um, Like I said, this is something that's really been thought about. I mean, it makes sense. Um, There's just been some real um, technical challenges in in adapting it to these super, um, you know, strenuous downhole conditions. And so... uh, but I mean, I think it's, you know, the the fact that large independent companies that are very technically savvy and have great service company relationships, the fact that they're working on this and that, you know, you have, like I said, the likes of BP Lower 48, ConocoPhillips, Oxy, um, it shows you that, that, you know, there's material gain to be made here. This isn't just one company trying a, a kind of one-off, you know. It's not being driven by a single engineering team or a single geologist or something like that. Um, you know, these companies are coming at it from different, uh, different technical backgrounds, from different sort of directions, um, and, and probably with some different goals in mind for how they want it to impact their own portfolios. But I think that, um, like I said, I think the savings are, are significant
1: all right well um that's all we'll do on occidental right now um next segment here uh we'll get to just after the break a little bit of a stunt we're gonna try um but for now the bit will be back right after this Welcome back to the bit. Uh, for Noah's farewell segment on the podcast here, I thought we'd do something of a parlor trick, and uh, we got a we got a map of the U.S. here spread out on the table in front of us. And uh, Noah, we kind of tease Noah for being just kind of a an endless well of. Minutia and information when it comes to u.s. Shale plays, so I thought I might tap into that here and uh, I've got so we've got a map and I have a quarter 2006 vintage quarter that I'm gonna flip and we're gonna see where it lands and then Noah is just gonna talk about where and Talk about what's going on in that part of the US and what we should be paying attention to
0: I'm actually gonna talk about what's going on there in 2006 <laughs> All right, let's just see what happens
1: Oh, not, not a very good start. Off the map. Well, off the map. All right. We are in n- northern New Mexico, Mancos Shale area.
0: And San Juan Basin. Um, yeah. So here's, uh, you know, this is an interesting area to me. I guess, first off, just to back up a little bit what we had talked about multilaterals, I mean, this is one area that uh, my understanding is BP is trying to apply their multilateral um, technology. And I think there's a good uh, potential for it for sure. I mean, it's um, an area that hasn't gotten a ton, of, um, a ton of attention, even though there really is an interesting tight oil play developing there in the Gallup. Um, some companies, WPX uh, and Encana, are there. Energen is there. Um. But what I guess what really caught my ear was uh, I was talking with um, uh, the chief executive from WPX, Rick Muncrieff, uh around Sarah Week. And was asking him you know you guys have this uh this great position in the permian that you've just picked up it would seem to me that that you know this position in the Gallup um in in the uh san juan basin there might be expendable maybe it would be on the block um and he said you know no we really like what we have there it's um well costs are, are coming down well productivities are coming up it's a very oil prone play and, you know, the cost of cost of doing business isn't, isn't as high as it is in the Permian. Um, and so he thought it was, a, a, you know, another solid asset for them. And like I said, that, that's interesting to hear for me because, you know, that's very much... I was looking at it as something that very much could be turned into uh, an additional Permian position, and he saw a lot of value in it. And so I think that's, you know, it's indicative of how people view it. And I think it's something that, especially once maybe if we see service costs go up in the Permian, that we could see activity um, shifted over there uh, just because of, like I said, high oil cuts and, uh, and productivities are going up. And Conoco just sold out of the San Juan. Uh, Conoco did just sell their San Juan position. That was to the north in the gassier area. Hillcorp picked that up. Um, I would expect they'll probably do some interesting stuff. I mean, when it comes to blocking and tackling, you can't really – I would say you can't beat Hillcorp. I mean, they've picked hmm. up some, some positions, whether it was BP's uh, Tuscaloosa Trend Gas position in Louisiana – Um, or, you know, their, uh, their Alaska position, they've, Hillcorp has done a a pretty impressive job of picking up uh, assets from the large companies and, and doing really well with them, operating them. And then finally, uh, Chevron has its position for sale there. It might already be out the door, but they had a hundred thousand acres on the market in the uh, San Juan.
1: All right. Where does the coin go next? Oh, the mighty Bakken. Talking Bakken.
0: Um, That's a good one. You know, Bakken production figures came out yesterday and I, should probably check them they're down they are down okay well that's uh you know the Bakken's been an interesting one in that it's you know you hear you hear analysts that are pretty down on it at times and yet when you go in and I mean it's kind of on a company by company basis but you know you go in and and take a look at some of the results from um, from Whiting from ConocoPhillips um you know EOG um folks like that, and they are drilling some really good wells. And I think that it's kind of an area that's been forgotten a bit. Um, it's certainly not as hot as the Permian. Oh, the forgotten Bakken. Yeah, the forgotten Bakken. <laughs> um, you know, it's certainly not as hot as the Permian. The rig counts you know, well off. I me. Mean, it's probably 25% of what it was at its high or at its peak. Um, but... You know, quietly, this is an area that's producing, you know, just a little bit below a million barrels, I think. And so it's it's a pretty significant contributor, both, um, you know, in the scheme of tight oil, but as well just to overall U.S. production. And it's proven to be surprisingly resilient. Um, you know, like all the shale plays, the the types of uh, changes to completions, just beefing up the fracks. And, and really here, where you've got thin landing zones, um, being able to, to stay in zone and to target a to accurately target your landing um, with geo-steering, rotor steerable stuff has been... Um it's been a big help to the play,
1: and so uh, the takeaway had always been a big problem um, from the p- from the uh, Bakken and the promise of some of these controversial pipelines like the Keystone XL and the um, and the Dakota Access. Are we seeing the the positive impacts for the oil industry on that? That's
0: that's a great point, point. Um, and yes, I mean so so the some of the companies that were invested heavily in the Bakken, particularly Continental um, Hess as well, um, had been pretty. Uh, bullish on the impacts of DAPL, on what they could be. Um, now, I wasn't, I haven't been tracking um, netbacks into the Bakken specifically over the last, say, three months or so, um, but overall in financials, we did see better realizations um, from companies that were drilling there, and so, yeah, I think your differentials probably are narrowing a bit, and, you know, when it comes down to it, if you start looking in a, a $45 or a $50 dollar oil price environment, um, you know, adding a buck or two to your netbacks is is pretty significant I mean if oil were to jump two bucks in a day, people would be pretty excited about it and and the ability to boost your i mean essentially that's what happened when dapple went in hmm. um you know the ability to boost that that uh that two dollars is it's it's big
1: all right let's try again okay. Missouri, Missouri. What's going on in Missouri? I don't
0: know anything about Missouri. You know there was some heavy oil, uh, some onshore heavy oil that was being looked at there. I mean, this was kind of pre-pre tight oil plays. Um, you do always hear talk of of. Um, you know, potentially some shale plays heading over towards that way. You know, Woodford, kind of Arkoma stuff, but really it's more to the south in, in Arkansas there.
1: Yeah, so let's let's go a little bit south, and what's going on, let's t- talk about the Fayetteville for a bit.
0: Okay, so, um, the Fayetteville, or I mean, I guess we'll say Fayetteville trend, because what's or what I've been most interested in down there has been um, Southwestern's development of the Moorfield shale. It's something that they had kind of played around with for really... I think when I was looking at permits, it was something like 10 years or something like that. I mean, they, they knew the Moorefield was there from the, from the get go when they started developing the Fayetteville, but the, um, the well results were pretty up and down. Um, but this latest set of exploration wells that uh, Southwestern talked about in their first quarter call were really strong. Um, I mean, they were getting, for, for not much more than, not much more cost than a Fayetteville well, they were getting, I want to say, a 2x EUR. So, I mean, a significantly more productive well um, for not really much more money. And I think the, you know, if investors are able to see that they can do that consistently from the Moorefield, it really would extend the life of the Fayetteville um, quite a bit. Now is that going to, you know, is the Moorefield going to become the next hotspot? No. I mean, <laughs> Southwestern owns the core of the Fayetteville and, um, you know, it is, it's unlikely that a bunch of companies are going to pour in um, for Moorefield stuff. On the other hand, you know, we keep coming back to this idea of stacked pay and the ability to leverage the existing facilities that are on site at a lot of these uh, Fayetteville locations, and so especially for Southwestern, primarily for Southwestern, the Morfield could be pretty significant.
1: And BHP Billiton, they've they're poking around the Fayetteville too a bit. Is that – or is that the Haynesville? I can uh, never remember.
0: BSB does have a Fayetteville position. Um, I don't think they've got a rig in it right now. Now, they're probably non-op on some stuff that Southwestern is drilling perhaps. Um, but they are definitely more interested in the Haynesville. And the Haynesville has – you know, the Haynesville has experienced a resurgence that I think a lot of people really – you know, probably didn't think possible, or probably didn't think would necessarily be needed because they saw the Marcellus as being a, a sort of superior shale play. On the other hand, um, some of the things that have made even plays like say the the Permian or you know some of the tight oil plays more economic, um, which is primarily the longer laterals um, and the bigger fracks can be applied in the Haynesville very, very economically. And so we're seeing average well lengths go out to 10,000 foot laterals plus in some cases. Um, and now you d- you haven't seen that those lengths as much in the Marsalis. It might be, some of that might have to do with leasehold issues and, and the land being more split up. It might be a, a somewhat a geography or a geology issue, but um, really it's been the Haynesville that has benefited the most from the um kind of i guess taking back some of the learnings from tide oil and w- which was interesting because tide oil was really kicked off by taking the learnings from places like the haynesville and applying them to liquids rich formation and so it's kind of coming back Ooh, learnings it's all full circle <laughs>
1: <laughs> love me some learnings exactly all right, let's let's see what's happening out east. Oh, that is the Gulf of Mexico, shallow water Gulf of Mexico, shallow water
0: Gulf of Mexico, <laughs> basically a dead sea. I had a um, private uh, operator who works onshore Louisiana. Um, when I told him I was going to OTC to go find out what was going on in the Gulf of Mexico, he uh, he replied, I think well, it's I, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was something like that place is what do you say? It's that place is a dead sea. That water belongs in a frac job. <laughs> um, but I mean, who knows? The shelf is, you know, maybe maybe there's something on the shelf. Maybe it's multilateral technology. Maybe it's um, maybe it's new plays. Maybe it's deeper. Um, it's it's rare that anything is ever out in the oil business. Uh, it always comes back in some way, shape, or form. But I would say I wouldn't bet that the shelf was the first place to come back.
1: Yeah, I th- what I've heard is, it, yeah people think it's tapped out <laughs> yeah uh technology aside um aside from the ultra deep plays which are just way too expensive to even go after
0: yeah i mean one thing i'd always wondered was you know there, there theoretically should be shale formations around there to be sourcing some of these traps and things like that um you know is there a way that you could drill long laterals from onshore positions you know with an onshore rig and, and avoiding a lot of those offshore costs to to successfully tap you know some of the shales that that might have sourced some of that stuff but i think there's just too much shale onshore u.s that is just cheaper and easier and known um and so i'd be kind of it's you know in in forty dollar fifty dollar oil costs costs are a big deal
1: all right let's just a couple more times here
0: Minnesota Minnesota,
1: Wisconsin That is sandland
0: Exactly, that is sandland And also, that's where I'm from Oh, Um, you were almost right there on Menominee, aren't you? Yeah, Minnesota-Wisconsin border Is uh, fourth generation Menominee, Wisconsin is where (sighs) I grew up You know, coincidentally, or actually it was um, not across the street, but within a mile of a Fairmont Sand Troll sand mine um, that uh, I used to walk past with my dad. My dad's a big, big uh, wake up early in the morning and go for a walk kind of (laughs) guy. And so, uh, yeah, we would walk past the Fairmont Sand Troll mine, which was um, actually put in for a glass factory, but now is a key supplier for plays like the Permian. All fracks all the time. All fracks all the time, yeah. You get a nice coat of silica on your lungs when you're growing up there? (laughs) It's uh, put hair on my chest, I think, <laughs> but um, no, I mean, what's interesting is is those areas are seeing a, a significant increase in the amount of mining activity. I think, um, you know, we haven't seen as much of a backlash as maybe we did early on. There were certain counties in both Minnesota and Wisconsin that were looking at putting in um, bans on frac sand mines or at least moratoriums on permits um, because they just kind of felt like they couldn't keep up and they were being a, a bit overrun. But overall, you know, it's going to take a ton more sand to drill. I I don't know how many tens of thousands of wells are needed to tap out the Permian, but um, a good number of those wells are going to need northern white sand from Minnesota and Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, I think there's there there might even be an argument to be said that you're you're better off developing just like the you were better off selling picks to gold miners and actually trying to go out and mine. You might have been better off uh, developing sand mines in in Minnesota and Wisconsin than than trying to go out and spend forty k an acre in the Permian and actually <laughs> actually drill the wells.
1: <laughs> okay, one more flip here. We'll see what happens. Ooh, that was a good one. Bam, right there.
0: Man, that's, that's sticking us. Uh, Man, wash. What well, this is so this is interesting. Which are, which you've got it straddling between I guess northern Permian, um, midland side. What could maybe be. I don't know, maybe the very top of the central basin platform or something like that. And then the granite wash uh, trend in the Woodford. Um, and first, I guess, we'll start granite wash trend. I mean, that was an area that was super hot maybe five, six years ago. Um, and, you know, liquids-rich gas, they were getting great liquids yields and great, um, actually getting great prices for their NGLs at that point. It's definitely cooled down, but that's an area where multilaterals have, have um, been, I believe, tried and, uh, and, and probably would work again. Um, It's also an area that I've, you know, it's, we've seen the, the liquids rich trend from the scoop and stack plays. Well, primarily the stack moved to the Northwest. You know, it certainly isn't overlapping necessarily with the, the granite wash yet, but, um, you know, it's an area I would keep an eye on. Um, But then that Northern part of the Permian to the North and West, um, it's definitely an area I'll be keeping an eye on. I've been interested a lot in the um, development of the Wolfcamp C and D horizons. Uh, Wolfcamp D uh, was also known as the Klein and kind of kicked off a lot of the Permian, um, the, the Permian rush. I mean, you saw Devon sign this huge JV with Sumitomo, and, and you know Klein was kind of on everybody's mind, and a lot of people leased uh, along the more or less. I should say northwest. I should say northeast. I guess along the eastern edge of the Midland Basin. Those are areas right now that are the acreage is still pretty cheap because the you know prim- what are seen as the primary formations maybe Wolfcamp A and B um, aren't aren't present aren't as productive there and so you know it's something that I would keep an eye on from um, you know these private equity companies that are selling out for for significant premiums in places like the Delaware Basin or the Midland Basin now need to put that capital to work somewhere and you know when they got into the Delaware Basin it was viewed maybe pretty similarly. It was very gassy, it was, uh, results were hit and miss, it was high pressure, you know, it wasn't, um, it just wasn't easy, you know, easy, straightforward oil. And they've pioneered that play into just an incredibly productive area I would say that there's a, I'm not going to say a decent chance. I'm not going to risk it, um, you know, in, in one way or another. But I, I would keep an eye on the Wolf Camp D trend, uh, especially along the eastern part of the uh, the Midland side of the basin or eastern part of the Permian Basin. Um, because I think there's, it's got the characteristics of the type of thing that, that could be worked up by by some private companies that are willing to take some risk on some lower cost acreage and, and apply some new geologic concepts to it and so it's that's an area i would keep an eye on
1: okay well this quarter has served us quite well um let's just do a little uh more uh directed questioning here uh just to f- finish this out um i don't think we need to say too much more about the permian i think everyone knows what's going on in the permian delaware basin it's gonna be
0: huge
1: yeah it is huge and it's driving this resurgence in sh- in, in shale um beautiful play beautiful <laughs> <shale> play. <laughs> yeah uh Quickly, anything going on, Utica Marcellus, that we, uh, that we should be paying attention to? Well,
0: you know, the Utica, um, those are areas that they are starting to lengthen out their laterals. The Utica, um, I think it was, oh, I might be wrong here, but I think it was Rice Energy drilled um, a 15,000-foot lateral there that was very productive. Uh, Halliburton got the frack off on it, and uh, it seemed to go very well. And they've talked about trying to to lengthen out their laterals to 10,000 and beyond, up to 15,000 pretty consistently. I think if you start to see, I mean, that certainly will help the economics. And I think if you're able to see consistent uh, consistent production per 1,000 feet, um, if that's able to hold throughout a 15,000-foot lateral in Utica and Marcellus. And um, the big caveat, I guess, would be if they're able to put together the leasehold positions that are needed to drill we're talking three mile laterals here. You <laughs> need to put together a significant amount of leasehold to to do that. But um, because it's been so successful in other plays, companies are much more, I think, much more open to the idea of swapping and blocking up this acreage. And so that's an area that I think you could see um, still some further uplift from additional completion design and, and lengthening out of laterals there. Sure
1: would help if uh, gas got a little bit more expensive. Yeah, it would
0: help. <laughs> I mean, it was up above, well, it was three twenty-five or so, um, and now it's, it's I think, trended back down a little bit. I mean, gas is weird. You know, you've heard a lot of analysts say that we've been undersupplied, as much as 3BCF undersupplied, for, for quite some time. Um, yet, at the same point, weather keeps screwing it up. I mean, I don't know at what point we just need to readjust our weather models to a new and slightly balmier normal, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's weather has thrown a monkey wrench in the gas market uh, the last couple of years. And I don't know, you know, if I were a gas trader, I'd, I'd kind of be scratching my head because it's one that's really hard, really hard to predict and has an outsized influence. I mean, it's, it's the biggest influence on the gas market through the winter when when it should be at its, at its highest.
1: All right. Let's just end in the probably the most important play outside of the Permian right now. Um, and trim Collingwood. <laughs> okay the, the chainman shale no <laughs> <laughs> you, you
0: you know i'm a huge chainman fan yeah
1: um no the uh the scoop stack merge score so hot so hot <laughs> whatever ac- acronym you prefer in the anadarko basin in
0: oklahoma um you laugh chevron's got a so hot package on the market right now i do laugh Seven thousand acres so hot
1: um, what do we, what, what do we need to know about these plays? I mean, th- I think the, the narrative that's kind of been told, uh, at least for the last couple of years is m- most of this acreage is, is pretty well, um, spoken for, um, and it's pretty expensive to get into. Um, so, but what are you keeping an eye on there? Yeah.
0: I mean, we saw, uh, we have definitely seen Permian-esque types of valuations in some places, you know, the, the core of the core, um, or the, the understood core of the core in scoop and stack, um. On the other hand, we have seen, you know, similar to as the Midland Basin sort of, or, or I guess, you know, the scoop kind of went into the stack, or, you know, it first it was scoop, then it was stacked, just as first it was Midland Basin, then Delaware Basin, and just as we're kind of seeing expansion within that, particularly within the Delaware Basin, um, I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see expansion um, of of these plays, whether it gets a new silly acronym name, who knows, who, who did SCORE? Who's, who's uh, SCORE is a new field concept. It's the s- South Central Oklahoma Resource Expansion, yeah. I believe, which basically is what everybody else was calling Northwest Stack. Uh, it was moving up into, like I believe, Woodward and Dewey uh, and major counties which was a huge lease play, oh, probably within the last year or so. You saw the courthouses kind of blowing up out there. You're also seeing um, some significant and some pretty interesting leasing moving over to the east into, uh, like, the Woodford Arcoma, the Arcoma Basin there. And would this be the merge? Uh, No, the merge would be kind of to the south. The merge is sort of in between the scoop and the stack. This is... um, you know, I I don't know exactly. Unacronymed, huh? Yeah, this is potentially wow. unacronymed. Um, there are some people looking at the Caney Shale along the um, Oklahoma Arkansas border that was that was getting some some interest. I mean, what you're looking at here is the Anadarko Basin, and and to a lesser extent, I guess the Arkoma Basin is is really, you know, yeah, it's probably not as good as the Permian from a rock standpoint. And I'm sure some geologist out there, some Oklahoma geologist right now, is you know couching out the eyes in my picture with a pen or something, <laughs> you know, okay, I'm sorry, it's not as good as a Permian, but um, but it's really uh, incredibly prolific petroleum system you know, stacked pay lots of stacked formations and it's really just a matter of you know, I think taking the time and drilling some exploration wells and being willing to put some different some different technology on them. I mean, you know, when I say different technology, it might just be that you you actually want to back off the prop and loadings on your frac, or you want to do more gel or more slick water or, you know, it, it's just really kind of playing, you know, not not groundbreaking science, we're not doing nuclear fusion here, but, you know, just playing around with some of the parameters that within some of the existing frac concepts. And there's just a ton of potential there. Uh, Chesapeake's got some interesting exploratory efforts going on where they're, they're more or less just exploring underneath their existing acreage. Um, you know, looking at uh formations like the sycamore, um, you know, the meramech is, is obviously a big one for the stack. Um, the sycamore is coming up more and more, the st. Genevieve, um, the osage, and god, people got into this for the hunting, um, and you know, there's still probably some potential in the hunting there, <laughs> and so it's you know, god, you can go on and on and on, and each one of those you're gonna see, um, structural influences on some of these. You're going to see small kind of structural hotspots that pop up that have great economics. And then people are going to go out and kind of try to replicate that in other places. And so it's something that it's going to be tough exploration to track kind of because it's really well oriented. It's not people going out and doing big lease plays, but I think it's definitely worth keeping an eye on because there is, um, it's really prolific. All right. Well, and there you have it. That is the entire United States tide oil
1: and tight gas uh, picture in about 20 minutes or however long that took. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot, Noah. That's exactly what we we're looking for. <laughs>
0: yeah. Give me, give me a call whenever.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I guess that will probably wrap us up here, um, for Noah's tenure at the bit. Um, who knows? Maybe we'll invite him back when, once he gets settled over at, uh, in his new office downtown. um, But uh, yeah, I guess I just want to say personally, thank you very much for all your contributions to this podcast and this uh organization.
0: Well, it's uh Luke this podcast has been a uh, a labor of love for you in particular and it's it's been a lot of fun. A really a lot of fun doing it. It was something I was pretty nervous about when I first started um and found that uh I guess I just really love the sound of my own voice or something. <laughs> um I don't know, but it's it's fun. It's fun to come in here and talk about stuff that uh that's just interesting or you know things that we would maybe talk about in the office or around the water cooler or whatever. Um that maybe do or don't make it into stories and things, but uh U.S. onshore space, man. It's fascinating, and, uh, and I think only going to get more interesting in the next five or ten years. All right.
1: Well, I think it's only appropriate that you uh, sign us off. All right. Well, by, oh, by the way, I should say, actually, uh, Noah is still able th- – you can still find him on Twitter, at Noah Brenner, and uh, he, I'm sure he'll be keeping that feed alive.
0: It's where I'll be. All my, my news nuggets will be uh, <laughs> on – at uh, Noah Brenner on All Twitter. Right. But, uh, yeah, so uh, The Bit is a production of NHST Media. It is produced by my colleague Luke Johnson. I'm Noah Brenner, the uh, former Houston Bureau Chief of Upstream Newspaper, I guess. And uh, so please stay tuned to this space for more from Upstream and keep your bit spinning to the right. All right. Nice. We
1: should have done that a long time ago.
0: trick pony, so... <laughs>